So that's on 942 in the Pew Bible, if you're reading with us there. And let's stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For, while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy may it be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider this portion of scripture, let us pray for God's help. Almighty God, We are astounded by this description of grace and what it means that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus, where as the work of Adam brought death to all humankind, the Lord Jesus has brought life to all those who belong to him. And we are glad that in light of that, we have hope, having been justified We have peace with God. Having been justified, we are freed from your everlasting wrath and will be rescued on the last day. And as we come to think about what this forgiveness of sins means, we ask that you'd help us to treasure up this truth that we so frequently consider. Help us to treasure it up all the more. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. And we ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, my, my grandfather always had this hypothetical outline about what he would do if he somehow won millions of dollars. I don't know what his plan for that was, but he talked about about winning it a lot. Uh, He intended to pay off his own debts and the debts and expenses of all his children. Two, that was his hope, his ideal, the outcome, what the outcome would be if he won all this money. And his plan highlights uh, why so many of us with loving family members would be excited if some one of our family members came into newfound wealth. We know that not only they, but also we, will have the opportunity to reap rewards from it. And when we're tied directly to someone possessing abundant resources, it seems to spill over onto us. And that depends on their generosity and loving provision. And that seems especially pertinent when we are behind on our debts, right? It's hard enough to be right on the money if you live paycheck to paycheck. Even more, it it strains us uh, when we know that we're coming from behind to make up ground to satisfy what we owe. It's better to satisfy all that you owe and have extra (laughs) in an ideal world. And the problem that encompasses every human person is that we owe a debt to God that we can never satisfy on our own. That insurmountable debt 
is on account of our sin. God's justice means that sinners ought to be everlastingly condemned. Our problem is that separation from God in that cursed condemnation is the opposite of all that would satisfy us in what we were made for, in what we were made to enjoy. It runs contrary, that condemnation runs contrary to how God designed us to have our end in enjoying Him. And when we realize the, the debt and its penalty that we have accrued before the Lord, we, we real, when, we, when we recognize its significance, we realize our greatest need. The forgiveness of sins. We need our debt erased, paid, taken care of. We need relief from that debt that we cannot pay, nor could we ever hope to pay it. As we work through the Apostles' Creed, we've seen that this Trinitarian document summarizes the whole Bible. The scripture recounts the story of the, excuse me, of the triune God saving his people in Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament and New Testament are equally about that same reality. In our final section of the creed here, we're considering the Holy Spirit and the works most closely associated with him. And now we come to the line that we believe in the forgiveness of sin. Now, it might feel like a, a curveball that the, the affirmation of the forgiveness of sins falls here in this section that, that we're saying recounts the, the works most closely associated with the Holy Spirit. Normally, we're focused directly on Christ and his death as the ground for the forgiveness of sins. And that is true. Certainly, Jesus Christ And his work is the ground of our reconciliation with God and our forgiveness. And yet, we will see that there is a way to appreciate the role of the Spirit in making us receive the forgiveness of sins. If that's not yet clear to you, well, then wait till the end. So our main point is that the forgiveness of sin settles our debt to God. The forgiveness of sin settles our debt to God. And our three points are the problem, the payment, and the postage. So first, let's think about the problem. Uh, a few years ago, um, obviously before we got here, uh, we, we had to apply to renew our visas uh, to stay living in the United Kingdom. And, and as you might expect, uh, with anything related to the government, the visa application had a fee attached to it. Now, that's fine. Uh, we were expecting that. And, and thankfully, uh, you know, that was being covered by the church where I was working at the time. And several months later, though, we got this notice uh, from the, the denomination's finance office that the British government considered the amount in fees 
that the church had paid for us, they considered that as part of my earnings. And so now we owed additional income taxes for that year. And that debt was a shock. I'm not going to make a point about the irony of the government charging taxes on fees paid to the government. Um, Although I guess I just did. Uh, I am going to make a point about how sometimes we're liable for a, for a debt that might surprise us, that we may not have seen coming. In our present cultural climate, with its domesticated, unbiblical views of God, people often claim to be confused about why God is mad at sin. Shouldn't he just be happy with everything I want to do, every action I would like to take? And when we as Christians announce the bad news before we explain the good news of the gospel, people often act surprised to hear that they are condemned before God and that they have this debt to experience God's everlasting curse if they do not receive salvation from Jesus Christ. Now what explains, given that, if this seems to surprise some people, what explains why we are condemned before the Lord when so many outside the Christian faith can't seem to understand why we are accountable to God for our sin. Romans 5, 12 to 14, which is kind of a dense section, but nonetheless, I think that there, if we slow down, there are helpful things that explain this very point. So 12 to 14 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, I want to lift out, just lift out a a few points from these verses that that help us get some clarity on why all sinners are condemned before God since Adam's first sin, right? So the the first thing, first thing is that, uh, and some of this will be obvious, but I'm just trying to get, get the premises out of this text to help us follow actually what what comes across through the whole thing. So the first thing is that sin is the cause of our death. He says, and sin came through death. Uh, So to to put it another way, death death is the physical and the spiritual debt that we accrue because of sin. It's a it's a penalty debt. Right? If you come in late on paying a charge, you accrue a penalty debt. And it's like this. Like, um, <clears throat> it's a, so it's a debt added to our account in addition 
to how we were created to obey God by acting in righteousness. That's the first thing we owed God, to act righteously and well reflect his image. And then we accrue this other debt, death, because of sin. So that's the first thing. Sin is the cause of death. Simple enough. Second, sin is a violation of the law. Paul says, sin is not counted where there is no law. And that's going to help us in just a moment, but let's think about this one for for a second. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism 14 makes this connection, asking, what is sin? Which is a helpful question, perhaps, to remember. Um, There's a few that I think are, are broadly helpful for everybody to memorize. Uh, and, and this is a key one, because you might get this very question in an evangelistic context. Well, what is sin, even? And rather than rummaging around to kind of piece something together, you can say, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So God's law can be broken, and so it, it, it tells us that God's law can be broken in two ways. And that, that would be sin. Right? So we can fail to do what it instructs, and we can do what it forbids. Right? If, if we don't honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, then we've failed to do what it says we ought to do. We've sinned by not conforming to the law of God. If we steal from someone else, we've done what it forbids. We've broken it by, by acting in a way that it tells us not to act. So we've got two premises, right, so far. Sin is the cause of death, and sin is breaking the law. Sin is a violation of the law. So third, third, and this is the one that can, can be easily missed, and it's actually where those verses get tangled up and why I've been so slow working through them. So the third thing is Paul's connection between, well, among, Paul's connection among sin, the law, and Adam. So let's think about this. We, We might not catch that from what Paul says here, that even Adam had the law. Sin results in death. Uh, Sin is a violation of the law. And so, well, what did Adam have to do to sin, break the law? Our death is a result of sin. Sin isn't counted unless there is a law. But death has been in the world since Adam. And the implicit premise is that Adam had the law and broke it, bringing death upon us all since he sinned as our representative. Now, how does that help us with our opening problem? Right, This unexpected liability to a debt. Well, like we, are, like we were liable to pay more taxes but weren't aware of it until we were told, people may claim unawareness of their liability on account of their sin. But God's law has been with us since creation. And Adam's sin rendered us all sinners as he represented us 
And so the problem is that we are condemned by our liability to the law's curse as sinners. And that brings us to our second point, the payment. The payment. So we've seen that um, sin creates a debt, namely a, a, a debt of penalty where now we're liable to everlasting punishment. And furthermore, that debt is because we are lawbreakers before God. And those two points raise the question about how we can be forgiven of our sin. How? Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we speak often about the fact that Christ died to forgive our sins. So so we're frequently mentioning that Christ died for the forgiveness of sin. And and now, I want to try to think more about how. What What does it mean, more in depth, that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sin? How is it that his death, how is it that his death satisfied our debt, so forgiving our sin? Now, Now, the gist is that in eternity, he took on the responsibility for our sin. For, for all the sin of the elect, committing to pay for it by dying on, behalf, on our behalf. Dying in the place of all those given to him by the Father. Now, let's, let's try to illustrate. I know that that's kind of dense. And so I want to try to illustrate that by pulling more on this debt metaphor right if we took we opened starting about uh, a, a family member coming into an abundance of riches right and what that might mean for us and so if you're under that crushing amount of debt perhaps your newly rich family member offers to cover that debt for you now There are two ways that that can play out in terms of the execution of covering that debt. Now, maybe, on the one hand, that payment still comes due to you each month. And your family member simply writes a check each time that that the bill must be paid and, and sends that check in your Stead. That's one way, and and that's the way I think we assume forgiveness works. Uh, I'm, or at least often, I'm I'm still on the hook before God, but but Christ sends forgiveness my way as I need it, and it's kind of like waiting to the last second to see if it actually gets deposited. Now, the alternative, though, 
would be that you and your newly wealthy family member could go into the bank and you can change your debt into his name. In this case, you're no longer on the hook for it at all. Rather, someone else has made themselves liable for the whole payment. And you are no longer connected to it at all. It's done away with. It's not in your account in the slightest. And that is what Christ has done for you, believer. As the mediator appointed in eternity to redeem us, he took responsibility to pay for the sins of all his elect. The the wrongdoings of every believer, Old or New Testament, we might add, were credited to Christ as our mediator in eternity as, as he was appointed to represent us. And so the payment is that Christ satisfied our debts by taking them as his own and giving us the privileges of all that he earned as the in his obedience as the mediator for his people. And that brings us to our final point, the postage, the postage. So uh, what we've been talking about so far is that foundation of forgiveness. We, I raised the, the tension in the beginning of, isn't Christ's death the ground for the forgiveness of sin? And saying, yes. So then why is this connected to the Holy Spirit? And so we've been talking about uh, the ground so far. And we saw why we need forgiveness. And we saw how Christ satisfied the debt to forgive us. And we still need to see how everything we've considered brings us back to think about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the connection is that although Christ accomplished the forgiveness of our sin, the Spirit applies that work to us so that we receive the forgiveness of sin. And that's why even though Christ has taken on that debt for his, for his people given to him from eternity, why we're not justified and forgiven until we come to faith in time. That's, that's the, the bridge between those two points as well. So let's think about uh, when you go to the mailbox and, and you, you find a, a really special letter from a dear friend. Um, who gave that letter to you? Now, the, the, the answer to that might be more complicated than it first seems to to think who gave the letter to you because on the one hand your friend composed the letter for you and sent it to you on the other hand the mailman brought it from your friend directly to you there was the making the letter and the delivering of the letter completed by those actions being completed by different people both in a sense in a different sense 
suppose, giving you this letter. And the point is that while Christ composed the forgiveness of your sins, the Spirit delivers it to you. Romans 5, 5 and 6. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us to, to pour God's love directly into us. And that's, that's clear enough. The Spirit is, is God's indwelling presence inside of every believer. But note the connecting logic here in these, in these verses. The Spirit has been poured into our hearts because Christ died for the ungodly. So to pull it back into the illustration, the mailman comes to deliver because your friend composed a letter to be delivered. And so too the Spirit comes to deliver the blessing authored by Jesus Christ. The blessings are authored by Jesus, but the postage is carried out by the Spirit. And when the Spirit brings you to faith, you are connected to the Lord Jesus who assumed responsibility for your debts and has paid them all in full. As Jesus rose from the grave by the power of the Spirit, he stands in heaven now to pour out his Spirit so that Christ himself indwells us by the Spirit's presence in us. In this way, Christ acts by the power of the Spirit to forgive sin as the Spirit takes the saving blessings of Christ and brings them home to us. As he brings us to faith and sustains us in faith. We see then why it's good to walk by the Spirit. Because walking by the Spirit is walking with Christ. Who provides the forgiveness of all our sins. Let's pray. Father God, we speak often about this truth of the forgiveness of sin. And yet, that would have been the case. For God's people from the beginning. And all the same, your people found it necessary to include in this most basic statement of our faith that we believe in the forgiveness of sin. Because we can never explore this truth too deeply or too much. We always need reminders of it. And we need it secured, anchored in this so uh, fundamental affirmation of our faith, our creed, because we so easily forget it. We lose track of it. We forget what it's about. And so we pray, as as we've thought about um, the nuts and bolts of what forgiveness means, why we need forgiveness, how it was composed, and how it comes to us, 
Help us to treasure up this reality all the more, to find freedom in it and find renewed assurance of your love for us as that love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit's indwelling presence. And we pray that we live in light of that as we go into the week before us. We ask it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.